Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. And if you want to hear more than just this highlight from the show, become a Coast Insider, and you can listen to this complete program, plus recent episodes covering amazing topics like the discovery of an ancient lost city in Honduras, secret societies that may control the world, and an update on the legendary Star Child Skull. Head on over to coasttocoastam.com and sign up for Coast Insider to start listening. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. We have two guests for you for the next couple hours. First of all, let me introduce Les Klinger with you. Les was with me about a year and a half ago. He's considered to be one of the world's foremost authorities on those twin icons of the Victorian era, Sherlock Holmes and Dracula. Now, since the 1960s, the study of the rich, fantastic literature of the Victorian writers has been Klinger's consuming passion. Now, in addition, he is a longtime supporter of Loyola University's in Chicago's Life After Innocence, and he was thrilled by the guest that's going to join him, Laura Caldwell, to co-edit Anatomy of Innocence, to have the opportunity to work with amazing people whose stories are told in the book and the equally amazing writers who tell them as all. So let me, first of all, welcome back Les to the program. Les, good to have you. Great to be back. I'm looking forward to this, and let's bring Laura in. Laura Caldwell is a former civil trial attorney now a law professor at Loyola University School of Law in Chicago. In 2008, she founded Loyola's Life After Innocence, which assists wrongfully convicted individuals and other innocent persons affected by the criminal justice system in order to help them reenter society, reclaim their lives. Laura, you're doing great, great work, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Let's talk, first of all, about these convictions. I mean... We have all known since the beginning of time that some people are going to get wrongfully convicted. Some people are going to the death chamber uh, wrongfully committed. We, we have killed innocent people. How bad is it, Laura, right now? Well, it's, you know, estimated that, and, and if you think about it, how often does the criminal justice system get it right? Let's say we get it right 95% of the time, which is the current sort of median estimate based on various studies. So if we get it right 95% of the time, then 5% of the prison population, which is um, you know 220,000, are innocent in jail. So right now there's a recognized almost 2,000 exonerations. But really, even if our very human system is doing a really good job and doing 95% of the time it's right, there's still hundreds of thousands of people innocent in jail. By the way, just so you both know, we have a huge listenership in the prisons across this country right now. Right. So they're listening to you, some of them probably cheering. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if uh, if a inmate, he or she, comes up to you one day when you're visiting <laughs> or whatever and says, I'm innocent. Chances are 5% they're telling the truth. That's right. That's exactly right. And it was neat because of this book. The the writers um, have kind of long recognized, I think, that the criminal justice system isn't perfect. If you look at sort of thriller writers and some of these people, they're not saying anything's wrong with cops and judges and whatever. They're just acknowledging that it's human. And so pairing these kind of two worlds was really interesting. And Les, let's uh, let's talk about you and how'd you get involved in this project because I know you as the Dracula guy, the right. Sherlock Holmes guy, the Edgar Allan Poe guy. Well, of course, you know, 
know, I've been involved in the mystery world for many years, and I'm fascinated by the justice system and, and a concerned citizen. Laura and I have been friends for more than 10 years, and I've tried to be very supportive of Life After Innocence. She had this brilliant idea for a book, asked me if I'd work on it with her, and I was just thrilled to say yes. Um, and then we were able to bring a circle of friends together to, uh, to put the book in place, and here it is. You said it's so right, George, up, up front. Uh, we're not trying to indict uh, the system. We're trying to make everybody aware it's a human system. Yeah. Stuff happens. And with that stuff that happens, I mean, can we, Laura, make it any better? Oh, absolutely. Um, we can. And I think the great thing is now there's an innocence community that again, as, as Les said, this is not an indictment um, of our overall system. It's, it's a, we just have to acknowledge that, I mean, even the factory that made these parts right 95% of the time would get audited by, well, that's pretty good. So we just have to acknowledge, though, that that's a pretty large number of people who are innocent in jail. And I think, I think we are starting to come to a place where it's time to look at what it feels like to be in the skin and, and behind the eyes of someone who experiences that. And so that's, you know, the direction we were going in instead of reporting on this is a problem, this is a problem. And so to your question, can this improve, we know it can because we are now identifying the top five or six causes of wrongful convictions. So we know that... Um, Bad expert testimony and bad science contributes. We know that false confessions are a problem, a big problem. We know that um, mistaken identification mm -hmm. is humongous. It, it, it's very large. It's a problem. You know, you uh, Google anything online and take a witness test, like they have you look at a crime that happens and then view a lineup chances are you're not going to get it right. There's right. a big problem. So as we identify, and the Innocence Network is doing a lot of work on this to identify the causes, then we can, um, you know, approach, as we're doing in Illinois, we're approaching, we're approaching the legislature and saying, let's change the rule about informants. Informants, paid informants, that's a big issue as well. So I think it definitely can get better because we're narrowing in on the causes. Next hour, when we take phone calls, maybe we'll get some calls from police officers. That'd we have many we're, who listen to us, and maybe they can share some of their stories. Go ahead, Lars. I was just going to say, we're seeing some systemic changes. We're seeing, for example, really only in the last couple of years, um, prosecutorial offices now creating correction, I mean, uh, uh, conviction review units. Uh, where they understand they may have made mistakes. They're looking over their old convictions to see if they're satisfied with the job they did. That's what we're after, is for everybody to say, it's possible we didn't get it right. Has technology made things better? One, one example, DNA is more prevalent than it was 20, 30 years ago. Does that help? Well, interestingly, only 25% of the exonerations in the last uh, 25 years have been as a result of DNA. It's not the magic bullet that TV likes you to think it is. It certainly helps. Um, and more knowledge about forensic science is helping. Uh, but partly, it's also disabusing juries, judges, prosecutors 
that science is magic. It's not. And we have a terrible problem in this country of a shortage of crime labs and a shortage of qualified technicians in crime labs. So in many cases, the science is bad. It's not done properly or it's not done at all. So let's talk about some of these convictions and some of the reasons, as you've just pointed out, Laura, uh, of why they happen. Can you also add uh, framed? And it does happen. We don't expect it a lot, but I would assume it does happen. People are framed by the prosecution. Who knows what, right? I, I think, uh, let me jump in and say, that this is a problem. Michael Connolly, in his, in his wonderful novels about uh, police detectives, talks about tunnel vision. It, so framed in a sense of not necessarily an evil prosecutor or an evil police officer, but someone who has decided that's the guilty person over there. And so they start ignoring, subtly perhaps, unconsciously perhaps, they ignore the evidence to the contrary. They don't seek it out. They may even suppress it as sort of irrelevant. And so in a sense, yes, there are frames. With what's been happening with, uh, let's say, the O.J. Simpson trial, you know, he was he was acquitted. A lot of people still, still think he was guilty. Uh, but, you know, there was problems with the police and the gloves and stuff like that. Was, was he wrongfully planted? I think that's a different kind of case. I, I, I want to emphasize here that when we're talking about exonerees um, and all of the stories in our book about the people that, that we worked with here, these are people who are, didn't get off on a technicality. It wasn't a matter that the prosecution failed to prove they were guilty. It's a matter that they were found to be, we say, factually innocent. Somebody else did it. In many of these cases, they ultimately found the real wrongdoer. Not all of them, but in some. But a court has decided these people are truly innocent, not just acquitted. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.